Welcome back to the Relentless Minds podcast. I am your host, Lori Jimenez. I created this platform with a sole mission, and that is to inspire people of all backgrounds to create the change they wish to see in their lives and in the world by sharing the examples of those who are. As a listener, you will hear the stories of ordinary men and women with extraordinary stories of overcoming adversities in order to experience the life they dream of. All of these individuals share a common interest. They desire a change for the better, and they are in a relentless pursuit to create that for themselves. If you're looking for inspiration to overcome challenges in your own life, to create a life that you desire to have, then you have come to the right place. You see, the truth is, people everywhere are fighting for what they believe in, and together, with relentless action and mental strength, I have no doubt that we can fulfill that dream. Welcome back to the Relentless Minds podcast. This is your host, Lori Jimenez. On today's episode, I interview Marianne Duquette Cuozo on her personal experience battling cancer not once, but three times as she was diagnosed twice with Hodgkin's lymphoma, once in 1994 and then again in 1997, and then she was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2014. She talks about her journey as she faced each diagnosis and series of treatments head on hearing the news that she may never be able to have children and eventually having to undergo a double mastectomy without reconstruction due to multiple infections. This was one of the hardest things Marianne has had to do in her life. She shares with us the emotional and mental pain she struggled with as she continuously worked to love herself and her new body image after the effects of cancer. Most incredibly, Marianne shares her journey and emotions through her artwork, which she posts on her media platforms to let other women know that they are not alone. Marianne is an artist, mother, cancer advocate, and cancer survivor. She aspires to empower women through her artwork and is currently writing a book, which she will further use to share her journey and strength. Let's begin the conversation. Welcome, Marianne, to the Relentless Minds podcast. I'm so happy that we were able to make this happen. Me too. This is an awesome experience and opportunity. Thank you, Lori. Absolutely. So Marianne, you are an incredible artist, mother, three times cancer survivor, and a cancer research advocate. Really looking forward to diving into this inspirational conversation with you regarding your experience with cancer and also your beautiful artwork. But Mm -hmm. first, how have you been holding up during this quarantine? absolutely we're all affected yeah i'm lucky that i'm not in a so tightly knit area um mm-hmm. i'm not in an apartment i'm in a house so that i have the outside to go to and you know i can walk down the streets and such for me i i work at a school part-time and i'm having this opportunity to really do a lot of work for myself which has been really helpful often in my life i f- have to find those genuinely good parts of bad situations and yeah. i'm doing that now you're doing that now and you're, you're keeping yourself healthy, hopefully mentally, yes. emotionally, physically. Yes. yes. What have been some things that you've been doing that you feel have been helping you? I'm not going out obviously, but I do take my, a two mile walk every day that I just, that's something that's clearing my mind. And, and it also, I guess it's a feeling of like, I'm just making sure I stay healthy by taking those walks because it's mental and physical at that moment. And it's, you know, therapeutic. It's, it's, um, I'm able to look around and see this beautiful spring day and the strangeness that's behind it all, you know, it's very surreal. And um, 
do a lot of praying as I'm walking and, and hoping everyone's doing okay. And cause I'm very fortunate. Um, my son is away at school, which is my most fearful thing that he's at school. Mm -hmm. He's at a house at away at school, you know, I'm not with him. So it's, it's hard, but he, you know, we talk every day and he's doing fine. Um, but not having him around is a little bit, you know, it's tough. It's tough because you worry. Okay. Well, I'm glad that you guys are in a good place that you're taking care of yourself mentally by going out walking. And I think it's so important because like prayer and just being present in that moment and just being thankful for what we do have. Right. And yes. what, what is still available for us to appreciate um, yes. like fresh air and beautiful yes. weather and time with your family time. And for you to work on your artwork, which is, I know which, super, 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 super powerful. It's a daily, it's a daily thing for me. It, it has to be, I have to. Um, it's just something I do that's very cathartic and, and sometimes it's just, you know, the physical aspect of it, just doing physical and, and as an artist, it's also just, you know, you feel the paint or you feel the, I drawn sh with Sharpies, which is very strange right now. And I love the line. I even, it's so, it's so black on white and it's so mm. crisp mm -hmm. and there's something about that. And then I kind of muffle it up and do something else with it, which I just love that, that what merges from that. So mm. it becomes very physically enjoyable and then it becomes beautiful and then it becomes you know it, it hits a lot of senses you know it, mm -hmm. it gets like that so um and then i know that there's a, a message i'm sending in my artwork whether it's being whimsical or um inspiring or it's something about my body and then it's i share it which is so silly to say and then i get all these people loving it and i feel and I, it hits them and it resonates and that's like poetic it's just perfect it's just a you know i'm very fortunate to have that it's healing all around yeah. it's within yeah. you. And, and yeah. there's that look at your artwork and a hundred percent within me. I mean, I don't mean I'm selfishly doing this. I'm not mm -hmm. doing this, you know, but it's helping, you know, many. So, but it's great because you put it out there, you know, you, mm -hmm. you definitely put it out there. And, and I think it made more of an impact than you even realize it would. Yeah. And we'll dive into that too. Your artwork plays a big part into this conversation that we're going to have today. Moving back a little bit regarding your journey. And what amazed me incredibly about you, you have been diagnosed with cancer, not once, but three times during your life. Yeah. And could you tell us then about your personal experience with cancer and how you managed to face those battles every time? Um, you know, it's, it's so interesting because I was, you know, I was young, I was 28, turned 29, I should say, and I was just married and I didn't have any idea I had just started a career of my own and I was just out there, like just like thrown out there doing all these exciting things and really excited about starting this life and never, and I always have been like a very positive person. And, and then all of a sudden one day I just, uh, you know, I was doing a job. I was a decorative painter. So I did a lot of um, houses. And at the, this moment I was doing these houses and I was painting a ceiling. So the ceiling was to be like a, clouds and skies and it was beautiful and this really elegant house and I'd come home and I just was exhausted just ex exhausted and I was like okay I, you know my my neck was hurting my back was hurting and and I just was it had to be because you know painting a ceiling I'm up and down scaffolding and I uh needed a back rub you know neck rub so my husband was like all right so you just rub my neck and then he rubbed uh, my clavicle and he noticed a lump and the lump was he said it was so it was so obvious to him, he's like, you never saw this? I was like, I never saw it. And the lump happened to be mm -hmm. leaning on a nerve. So I ended up going to a chiropractor just thinking, no, it's just a chiropractic. Went to the chiropractor and it turned out that she took an x-ray of it. And um, 
she just said to me, she goes, uh, it's not chiropractic. I can't tell you what it is, what I see, but I know someone that you should go to. So I went to an infectious disease doctor within the next day and uh, he took ton of, tons of blood. And then within three days, I'm diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I didn't know what the hell that was. And it was mm -hmm. so uh, weird because at the time, we're talking 94, uh, you know, 1994, and mm -hmm. there was no there was no social media. It was dial-up. You know, we didn't have a computer. You know, we had dial-up. I went to the library to get books to figure out what this was. And my whole life became doctors. And it was so hard because I didn't, there was nobody that I knew. I mean, I only knew, you know, people, older people who had grandkids who had prostate or breast cancer. I didn't know anybody who was young. I didn't want anyone to know about it. And it was like, I was very private about it because I felt so different than everybody about it. And, and when I finally went to a doctor and the doctor was telling me that um, I was going to have to have this, what they did back then is I would have to have a splenectomy. Um, to, they remove with Hodgkin's what they stage you um, um, kind of from top to bottom because your lymph nodes, you have 700 lymph nodes in your body and they stage you according. So they, what they do did back then in 94 was they removed your spleen so that if they knew that the, the cancer was not in your spleen, they would stage you stage three up. So if it was beyond your spleen, it was stage four. Gotcha. They also remove it prophylactically so that the cancer can't get into it, correct? Mm. Because the lymph system is almost like a, a chain with beads on it. So I was lucky it was not in my spleen and they tested other lymph nodes around and it wasn't. So it was stage, it was stage 2B. And at that time, what they did is they gave you radiation. And unfortunately, it was a mantle radiation, which is your chest and it's also your pelvis, pelvic area. And it was 48 radiations th therapy, which is crazy crazy, medieval. Am crazy amount back then that's what they did back then and that's how they did that was the protocol i finished that it was very difficult because the doctor that i was with was pretty much telling me that um and i remember this clearly is hardest thing that I ever really went through with my i was with my mother and the doctor said you're gonna have to do this this and this and um the chances of you having a child is none and i remember having sitting in the car with my mom just crying and and knowing that i had to go home and tell my husband not only do we have cancer to deal with we can't have children. And that was the hardest thing. When I look back, the hardest thing, and he was in great big denial, <laughs> but he also was, his anger was, no, you do not have this. This is um, impossible. Unfortunately, he was thrusted into this pretty much, you know, so we went forward and we had to um, take care of it. I had the splenectomy, which was one of the hardest surgeries because they basically take all your intestines out and they put it out in the side and they take wow. care of you and then they put it back in and you got to stay in the hospital for a couple of days. And it was about a week until I was able to get out. And it was a really physically horrible surgery in the sense that it was also, it's a 10 inch scar from my, my chest, my breastbone all the way down to my pubic bone. And it was just 28 staples. And I use it often in my art because it was so unbelievably Frankenstein-esque, but I could hide it. And I dealt with that and, you know, I went and moved on. Then it was, uh, you know, I'd have CAT scans and PET scans and MRIs and all this for months and months afterwards. And slowly my world got back and I was able to start doing stuff again. And I started my running again, which was what I did. And what I did discover that I did have was um, the mass itself that they were radiating was about a grapefruit size and it was between my heart and my lungs. So now we're going to 1997 and I had a CAT scan and I, they always saw something and they always just said, oh, it's just scar tissue from the radiation. Mm -hmm. And then in 97, I had, the, I had one doctor just say to me, he's like, I'm not loving 
the fact that the scar tissue is still there. And I really like to go in there and just check it out. So in 97, I had a surgery that was very, um, they had to actually pry my, because I'm looking at my old notes for different things that I'm doing right now and, and just get inspired. And they had to pry my ribs open in my chest to, to get to this area. And they biopsied it, discovered it was cancer. At that point, they said that you have to have chemotherapy. And that was in 97 and I was 32. And it was just like, I got to do this shit again. <laughs> and were, um, you, were you still um, going through treatment for Hodgkin's lymphoma? I, that This was Hodgkin's lymphoma. This gotcha. was still Hodgkin's. So it came, it, the, what it was, was that what they found in the biopsy with the scar tissue was it wasn't scar tissue. It was actually still the cancer. It never went away. So here I am for how many months that I still had it, you know, years I'm talking had, that I still had this, um, the cancer. And, you know, I look at it hindsight. Yes, I was lucky that they found it, that I let them do this biopsy because I could have just said, no, no, no. From there, I had to have chemo. And that was uh, 32. And I, the chemo at the time was ABVD, which is adriamycin, bleomycin, biophyacin, whatever it's called. Mm -hmm. But the adriamycin in it was a, one of the toughest chemos there are. It's called the red devil because it's just yeah. it just knocks you out. And I got so sick and I was very sick and, and you dealt with it. And I had, I want to say, I want to say 12 to 16 rounds of that. And then this team of doctors were just like, go ahead, you're going to be good. And they were like, after two years, three years, they were like, go have a kid. So I was able to have my son. So oh. it was a very big blessing. So in 2000, I had Leonardo. So. Oh, wow. That's incredible. But you yeah. were fighting this for from 1994 till 2000. Was it 2000 that it ended? And then you were able to say 98, you know, we, we 98, 90, I was done with everything. I, and then I got the go ahead to try to have a child and, and we succeeded and my life started over in the most beautiful way. And the biggest blessing he is. I didn't have fear at that time, you know, because I was now a mother and I had to take care of this person. So it was like be, my whole world became this person. So I was, I had to take care of myself. I also definitely did stuff that I lived life at that point. I just definitely felt like I shifted gears and I lived, I started doing things that I, out of my comfort zone. I, I just, you know, took jobs that I was more exciting and did things that were more exciting and, and just, you know, challenged myself a little bit more, you know, and then as Leo grew older, it was the importance of making this kid be proud of his mom, you know, but unfortunately in 2014, um, I ended up going to gyno appointment and had a mammo and I had noticed the day before, and actually it's funny, it's the day before his birthday, uh, Leo's birthday, and I, it felt like a chord in my breast. It felt like a, a guitar string, like a, just a chord. And it was such a strange sensation. And, and I even had a friend feel it because she had she had breast cancer herself. And she was like, no, 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 that's nothing. And then I went to the doctor and he was like, it's probably, it's most likely calcification because I breastfed Leonardo for a long time. It's probably calcification from breastfeeding. And my gyno was just like, he was like, at first he was unimpressed. And then all of a sudden he was just like, well, you know, because of your history, let's just get it checked out. And he, his team just got me like a mammo and sano that day. And, and I went and within an hour of a mammo and a sano, I had a core biopsy because they saw something and they, this woman, this beautiful doctor came in and this, she just said, I, I can't believe I have to tell you this, but we found cancer. And I'm like, I just was going in for a mammo, you know, like that was it. Like I was just getting a gyno appointment. Like what the hell that I have? And they said, because it wasn't the cord, it was something behind the cord. It was a calcification, but behind that was a lump. And um, she says, yeah. So I had to go back to my team of doctors. We caught it early. It was stage, it was stage three because I ended up having, I had it in my lymph nodes as well. I ended up having a double mastectomy. And when they have a double mastectomy, they also go for your lymph nodes to see margins, to see how far the lymph went out. So I had 20 lymph nodes taken out of my arm, my armpit, 
And then they found several that were cancerous. That's where the lymphedema came in from that. And then I had a double mastectomy. And unfortunately with the double mastectomy, I had implants put in and the implants unfortunately um, became infected. I got septic breasts. It was, it was awful. So I had six infections that I ended up having to have these implants removed. Um, apparently what happened was the breast cancer came from the radiation I had from when I was younger. So it was caused by mantle radiation. Yeah. And the radiation you received 20 years prior, you were getting yes. breast cancer. Yep. And unfortunately they didn't know back then what it would be. Um, radiation now is so different. It's so pinpoint. Um, back then they really, really, especially for Hodgkin's, they really had to like, you know, take a whole lot of area to, to radiate. I mean, I did have a lead bib that they made and all that stuff, but the, what ended up happening is that my, the doctor that I went to, it's interesting to, to go back to this, to, to mention this too, is I had several uh, doctors I saw and I was not really impressed with their diagnosis or they kept on saying, oh yeah, we heard about the research that we read a research about how Hodgkin's radiation from Hodgkin's can cause breast cancer later on. They all said they heard about it. I was not like totally impressed with that answer. And I ended up, one of my good friends is a, a PA at Sloan Kettering in, in New York City. And she says, no, 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 no. You're going to my doctor that I work with. And you're going to the, my breast surgeon that you know I work with daily. And I got to go see Dr. Heert in Sloan Kettering. She sat me down. She goes, I wrote that research the woman who wrote it. So I was like, you're, you got it. <laughs> you got yeah. me. I'm gonna... So she was just like, oh yeah, that's, I wrote that. And um, she showed me actually in a picture and I have the picture still of how the, the lead bib that they put on you, that how the cancer just kind of forms around the perimeter of the bib and unbeknownst, they don't know why, but they do know that the radiation is the, the reason. Your story is absolutely, <laughs> wow. It's just because- Well, it's not over. After that happened and I had a double mastectomy and I had the implants put in and happily having these implants, I, I enjoyed them. They're beautiful. They're perfect. Um, they un unfortunately went septic on me because of the fact that the skin was so radiated and the implant was fake that uh, bacteria went in between and it festered into the implant. They couldn't get rid of it. I mean, so I was at weeks at a time. I was in the hospital with IVs and just trying to get me with bring down these 103 fevers and it was a very scary time because they couldn't get it to go away. And it just was red, hot, painful. And, you know, there were times that they were, I was very worried. I remember sleeping and, and just, I, I couldn't believe how the nurses were all on top of me for every minute. Like what, what, what's going on? Like, what is going on? And I was so afraid at this one moment in, in at the hospital that this was it because it was so bad. And I didn't really talk about that much to anybody because I, I wrote it down and I was like, wow, I really was scared that day. And so finally what ended up happening, I just said, we all decided to get them out. So I took the one out and I lived life with just one implant in a flat chest, flat side. So it was very lopsided and I wasn't happy with that. So then I ended up having the other implant removed and now I live flat and that's a whole nother journey. You know, it's a big time journey. And I've seen that a lot reflected in your work, in your artwork as well. I think that's an important conversation to have because like you were even telling me before the interview that your surgeon was talking about how it's, it, there are health benefits. It's actually a good option to go flat. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to ask you about your journey, like going through, I mean, this is years and years and years and you're, you're trying to have your own personal life with your family, you know, your mother and, you know, just a regular lifestyle while you're battling cancer. Yeah. How did you mentally get through these moments? Like just kind of the years, what were you maybe telling yourself 
what was going on in your head that kept you because I've seen throughout your work, it's like hope is a big thing for you, you know? And so how did that play maybe that or other ways of thinking that really helped you to get by? It was, it's, it's an ongoing thing and there's really no, I think no clear cut answer to it. You know, I wake up and you, you go, you have good days and bad days. We all do. And I keep thinking in my head, there's a reason that this happened to me. And I have to do something with myself for that reason. Like I have to live this life. It's I've been put in this place to survive over and over again. I better start getting out there and living it. I'm not going to say I want to help people. That's not my answer because that doesn't sound true to myself. But I want to show women, I did this, you could do this. Like we could do this. You know what I mean? You're not alone. We got this. And I constantly say this to myself, there's courage inside you. You never knew you had. And you go with that. And I'm telling you, when I go for my walks, I just, you know, I'll be walking, schlumping, schlumping. And all of a sudden I'm like, damn it, I got courage. I got courage. Like stand up proud, tall, and just walk with pride and embrace this. It's beautiful. And yes, we have good days and bad days, but like the good is so good. Good is so good. Would you say then that going through your experiences, it was more of like, you know, having to remind yourself, having to tell yourself these positive, choosing to put positivity and empowerment into your mind. hundred percent, hundred percent. And I think I know that has helped me. I know that my positive attitude has helped me and has, it helps people around me. And, and maybe I do it too, to, to make sure people, you know, I, I grew up with very, very happy parents. I, my, my mother was, well, I learned from my mother. My mother had a lot of depression, but she also knew how to like hide it and have this great laugh and make everyone feel good around her. But behind her, she was sad. And and I know that I have that and my family has that and we all have that. Um, But I think that I know that my positivity just is stronger than my depression. I can convince myself out of anything to feel good. You know what I mean? You really can get yourself out of a bad way if you just think about good things. And that's, that's so important. It's so important. And I think that has made people do things in the greatest scheme of things in the world because they they have a positive attitude. And I think people who have a negative attitude, I mean, it's so, it's so obvious, but they bring such negativity towards them. It just weighs you down. Visually, it's so, the, you know, positivity is light and negativity is dark. Where do you want to go? You want to go to the dark? You want to go to the light? You know what I mean? Exactly. That's you right. Know? And I think it's super interesting that you mentioned as well that you're still experiencing your dark side of things sometimes, your bad days, right? The yeah. moments of depression but you choose positivity. And that's a powerful statement to make because in your artwork as well, I've seen you say, what face are you wearing today? You know, (laughs) right? And that's super powerful because I think that when you do see people and you see them with this smile on their face, it doesn't mean they're not experiencing pain inside. But at that moment, maybe they're just choosing, they're choosing that positivity. They want to be surrounded by that positivity. They They wanna embrace that positivity, that happiness even though they are experiencing a bad time, you know? Yeah. And that that's for me, I mean, that means a lot because a lot of people I feel like they're oh, they're not they're not experiencing anything. They look so happy, but that's not yeah. the reality. Yeah. Well, that's our social media for you. I mean, we all see yeah. everyone so happy and beautiful yeah. and all this stuff. And the reality is, and I love when people do show themselves in a great way and then they say, This is really the way I feel. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I love when they do that because it is helpful. And especially these people who have tons of followers and and people are looking towards them. And I do like when people physically show themselves at 
not in a bad way, but, and to feel sorry for them, but just to see the reality of how people are. I mean, we do not know what people feel. And I'm in a community of breast cancer community right now. And having been with these women, and I could tell that ones that are mad at the world and the ones that are like embracing the world and the ones that are mad at the world, I have to stay away from because it's not good for me. But at the same time, you want to help and you, you know, you're, you're empathetic and you want to be, be there for them. But you could definitely tell that the people I have surrounding me are the ones that are positive mm -hmm. because they, we draw to each other. It's mm -hmm. just the way it is. And it's important to draw that, that good, good side mm -hmm. for healthy reasons. It's just healthy reasons. I mean, it's for yourself, really. It's about, you know, yeah. I feel that I feel like it's a disservice personally. It's like, you know, you already have all of these, these things that are happening to you. Why, why do bad things to yourself? You know, yeah. if anything, why push you, people away and yeah. don't push people away. If, and that's what you do because I don't think that when people are so negative, and I'm not saying you have to have a smile on your face all the time. I mean, God, that's not the way it is. It's certainly not the way I am. I'm not a, I have a lot of depression a lot of times. You know, I, I could see it and I kind of like, okay, here we're going. And my art has been such a saving grace to me because of the fact that when that does happen, I do let it out in my art or I let it out. I, I journal a lot too. I journal every day. So the journaling helps too. And I know that sounds maybe hokey, whatever, but it really does yeah. help. I mean, I'm in therapy now too, which was something I should have done a long, long time ago. And I, I really regret that I didn't start it a long time ago because now I'm discovering so many things. And it's been such a great experience because I've, you know, I have been harboring anger at certain things that I was trying to hide or prevent. A lot of it was I hid a lot of my pain from my parents and my family because I didn't want them to see that. And they knew, I mean, they knew, they saw, but I hid a lot and I ended up being angry that I was hiding it from them because they would have been able to handle it. You know, they're, they're, they're there for me. We're all there for each other, but I put it in my artwork instead, you know, or I wrote and I tried not to let my son see me unhappy. And it was, that's, that's hard. Cause at the same time, he was just like, mom, what you're doing is your mission with this. You know, you have a mission. You have to be an advocate because you have a purpose. Very, very powerful. Wow. Smart, smart boy. Smart boy. <laughs> Absolutely. And let's talk about your artwork because your artwork is so inspirational. It, it is helping a lot of people and, and more importantly, you know, it is helping you. Yeah. And so when it comes to what you're doing with your artwork and how you've used that to express your emotions and your journey, how have you felt the therapeutic benefits for yourself? Like, what is it about drawing that helps you to express yourself, to relieve pain, to feel better? I've always had artwork in my life. I, my parents were artists. They met in art school. My brothers and sister are artists and they married artists. And my father has a studio in his house and could give us supplies. I mean, so it was a daily thing. If whatever type of artwork we went into, because all, we all had to make a living, you know, so we all ended up using our artwork as, you know, I was a decorative painter. So I did pretty things. And when I first got diagnosed at 29, my artwork was pretty. And that's the only way I could tell it, it was I sold it, it was pretty. And, and then I would go into my studio and I would just start doing these things, which I never did before. I had huge newsprint, taped it to the wall and took messy, dark charcoal and just went on it, like just angry art. And I smeared and it was all over my hands and my face. And I was just throwing them out in, of my body. And it was thrilling. And it was never meant for anyone to see. There was no social media, so I wasn't showing these things. It was all rolled up and put under the couch. 
tons of them. I did them tons. And I remember reading my journal recently because I'm going through something, I'm doing a project and, and I'm reading this how I couldn't believe how my art, I couldn't wait to get home from the doctor or from therapy or whatever I was doing to go to the room and to create these art pieces that would, nobody was meant to see. And it was just my therapy at the time. And then after a while that then when my second diagnosis, my second recurrence or whatever you want to call it, I started doing these really pensive drawings of these women's faces. It was in my room again. And I would just do these very large facial expressions, which was really interesting, like why I chose this. And they were not smiling faces, but they were just faces. And I, you mm. see a lot of them in one of that, that one with the, which face you're wearing are actually mm. two yes. separate, two separate drawings that I did back then. And just recently cut them out and put them together and it fit magically. And that's what's happening now to my artwork, which is just something completely, I'm taking old art and making it into a new light, I'm calling it, where it physically is taking my old artwork, cutting it up and putting it together for throughout the years. And it's just, what, it's magic. What's it's magic. the significance <laughs> of that? Yeah, that's incredible. I, I think, saw that. Yeah, I think it's just that I, I just, old art, new light. That's how I have to look at it. Like I'm looking at it like my life is, this is the new light in me. And I can't even, like when it happened, I did one, these two women, I cut them out and it was the weirdest thing. Like I, I stood there and I, I wish I could physically show you. It's like, I just went ka-ching to the, they just went click. And that one was holding the other. And it was like, that was meant to be. One of my favorite drawings of all time that I've done and very proud of it. My images now, um, what I did with the breast cancer, it became, I use symbols of birds were my breasts and the bird cages I use a lot are my sexuality. And sometimes my sexuality, my the door of the bird cage is open because my sexuality is open and sometimes it's closed. Sometimes the bird's in the bird cage, sometimes it's outside the bird cage and it just it just became the symbol for me and it was useful. And then I had a string with a heart on it, which was my hope. It's my ever-present hope in my in my artwork. I haven't been using that as much anymore because I didn't want it to be cliche. I didn't. I was kind of getting away from that little bit of a cliche, and I didn't want it to be too. It would became. It was very whimsical, but I also it was really real. So I didn't want to make it too light of it. So some of the artwork now is less of that whimsical stuff, but it's still you know the birds are present in a lot of these drawings. The drawings I'm doing now are a lot more about my my body image and how hard it is. And there are women that are very, very, they embrace their flatness in the most, I wish I could be like them. They chose it. I wanted the breast implants. Um, so being flat was really hard, but I'm with these great women that I'm so proud of, uh, that this com flat community that are so magnificent and so proud of themselves and their advocates. And, and I'm in their advocate world and I've done lots of advocacy being flat and to make choice of being flat if you want to, or have that opportunity to be say to the doctor, I do not want these breast implants. And now ironically, I don't know if I want to sidetrack to this yet because I, we're talking about my artwork, but it's a very important point of women now not being able to have reconstruction because of the COVID vi virus that they have to wait. So a lot more women are gonna go flat because they're gonna have to wait and they're gonna decide, I don't really want to have implants, you know, eventually. Mm -hmm. I don't want surgery. This is not so bad, you know. So there's going to be a lot of women doing that right now because their uh, reconstruction surgeries are being postponed to whenever. So a lot of these women that I'm working with are talking about this, that saying, you know, being flat is a choice, a valid choice. When it came to your your journey and accepting your flatness, because you really are, you place yourself out there, you know, yeah. on your social media. And I think to many people, it would have seemed like you've embraced it. 
what would you say has been that journey? Have Are you there at that point or is it still ongoing? It's half-half. It's, it's definitely half and half. I'm proud of it because um, I'm proud of the community that is so proud of it. The community is very important and they're these magnificent women that are so like, I'm flat and proud. It's just like, this is like, and they're trying to show other women to just embrace this beautiful body that you're not, your breasts. Yeah. I unfortunately haven't gotten there yet because Sexually, it was very important to me, sensually and everything. It was my breasts were part of my experience and not having them, the experience is not the same. And it's hard because physically I'm not active. So it's not, it's kind of a double-edged sword. You know what I mean? So there's a side of me that wants to, yes, I'm out there socially in social media with my <laughs> top off a lot and on TV and doing all these kinds of things. But I think when I look at it, I'm trying to look at myself being proud of my, like, I'm proud of myself like that. You know what I mean? Convincing myself. So it's not gotcha. quite there yet. You though do, and I want to talk about body image because I think a, a lot of women can identify with your journey and with the decision to go flat or if they did go flat, you know, processing that. What can you say about your journey in learning to love yourself and to love your image? And I know it's an ongoing thing, but what's important because you have this positivity about you that a lot of people may be missing. And so what's your journey looking like on your way to loving your image? It's, I think, ongoing. It's mm -hmm. going to be ongoing. But I think, you know, also, it's been ongoing for my whole life. You know, I think we all have body dysmorphia, like everyone has issues with their body. So this is really what comes down to it for me is that unfortunately, when I have clothes on, I feel fine. Yeah, things fit weird or they feel better. You know, it's one or the other. I wear a lot of scarves, that's my thing. Um, I hide my flatness with that, but it's when you're not dressed, it's the hard part where you all of a sudden you're like, look at your, yourself and you go, huh, okay, I have no breasts. And okay, that's just what I have to deal with for the rest of my life. It's not like that's going to change, you know, like it's not like I can lose weight and feel better about myself or, oh, I, you know, exercise, get rid of my thighs. It's like, no, 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 I can't just get breasts or nipples or sensation for that matter. Or, you know, so it's a, it's an ongoing thing. Beauty is absolutely inside of us. But I mean, you know, here I am in my house. I'm not going out. I still put my lipstick on my eyelashes and, you know, do my eyebrows right. and my hairs. I need to feel beautiful. That's right. what I do. And there's nothing wrong with that. And it's just what I do. I dress every day. I go, you know, like I, I want to look mm -hmm. like I'm going out to New York City every day. That's mm -hmm. the way I'm trying to do it. And I think as I get older, I'm going to be better at this because I think I'm just going to, you know, I'm older, I'm 55. I'm, when, <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm 56, I just want to keep feeling good about myself. And yes, I have to say when I did that fashion show and I walked down that runway, it was just yes. like, it was like my sassy so self. <laughs> that was my you sassy so self. <laughs> there was not a care in the world in your mind at that moment. Exactly. And, and I have to say, you, you, uh, these women have been all changed by that, you know, that experience we had. I love that. You know, it's so important. I want to tell you from, you know, in a way, like an outside perspective from the artwork that you do, you reflect and you express in your artwork, the self-love, self-care, sexuality. Yes, and big time. when I was looking at your artwork, it did bring to mind sort of like the struggles mentally that a lot of women, when they're experiencing like the treatment for cancer or even afterwards, yeah. the, the impacts that it has on their body, yeah. right? And on their mind. Because you said everybody kind of experiences or deals with dysmorphia, right, of their body yeah. without disease. Now, yes. when you're impacted with something so, so hard to deal with, 
you know, I started to think, wow, can, I mean, I want to tap into, I want to, I want to understand like how that is, right? Because I'm sure you, you sharing how it's been, a lot of women can resonate with that, but you still choosing then to share online, you know, or even with, with yourself and be real yeah. about yeah. what you're going through and how hard it is for you to love yourself when it's, it's hard, you know, it is yeah. hard, I'm sure. Yes. Yes. Because you have this image of an ideal and then it's like, was how, taken can away. I, how can I, how can I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So how has that been for you? The thing that comes to mind first was, you know, when I had the Hodgkins and, and I was younger and I still had my breasts. So I had cancer, but I didn't have body dysmorphia. Like I was not physically changed. Yes. I had a scar that was like, you know, Frankenstein on my stomach, but I had clothes I could put over, cover that. You know what I mean? I, sometimes I felt warrior like, and I would be brave, but it was never a sexual aspect of me. Once I had the breast cancer, it became so different. This cancer became, it took something so major away from me. And it was such a different experience because it wasn't just cancer. Again, it was body image. It was my sexuality. It was my sensuality. And breasts do not define a woman. And women who do have reconstruction, I'm so happy for that. They were able to do that and it succeeded. And I have nothing against that, but it was not my choice to go flat. So the body image is super hard in the sense that it's it wasn't my choice. And every time I've met with women that are, have breast cancer, no other cancer, but breast cancer, that's the concern is that their body image has changed. Even if they have beautiful implants that succeeded and they're lovely, there's no sensation. And for a lot, there's no nipples. Or if there's nipples, they are like nowhere on their body and there's still no sensation. So they're just physically there. They don't look like themselves, but they're not even in the place that they were. And I, I just met with a group of women and it was just like, we all talked about the same thing. And it was like, there's no sensation. And yeah, they could look good in a shirt. You know, you don't have to wear a bra, like all, you know, like all the fun things, but it's like, this is not a boob job. This is like total reminder that you had cancer. And that's a rough thing to go through life with, because that's more than just the body image of let's go for a walk and I'll, I'll walk off the potato chips I just ate. You know what I mean? That that's completely different. And when it comes to, it looks like personally, you're bringing this up a lot. The, uh, the groups, the groups that you're meeting with and the women that you're able to speak with that can all share that common story, that common emotion. Yeah. How has that played a part in your healing? What I love is that we all can talk about the same thing and be like, oh my God, it's like you too. And it's like, wow, you know, you're not alone. It's like you, you're never going to be alone because you're going to have all these women to talk to about this stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's huge. And it's important. And it's important we talk about it. And, and I have friends who don't have cancer and I have a hard time talking about cancer with these friends. Mm -hmm. And I love them for everything they are, mm -hmm. but I can't talk about it. I don't think they want me to like not talk about it. I don't think they are like, oh, she's going to talk about cancer again. They have to know it's my whole life. It's been my whole life. So it is going to be what I'm going to be talking about. And, you know, some friends have said to me, you know, just, you know, maybe don't go with the cancer group. You know, don't do it so much. Maybe you'll feel better and you could think of other things. So I can't. That's just the world I'm in. I want to share moments with these women that feel the same things because I leave that time with them and I'm going... I'm certainly not alone. A lot that comes out of this, and unfortunately it is, and it is about sex, and it is about life after cancer, sex life after cancer. And these are women who have spouses who have been by their sides 100%, or there's women that don't even have significant others. They're just by themselves trying to date in New York City, you know? And it is so hard because what do you say? It is a big concern, and that comes out with, I guess the way I'm suggesting it is in self-love and how I have to remind myself I love myself first. 
I take care of myself first <laughs> and that's what I'm doing, you know? So I'm really, really learning how to love myself and that means self-love. And that means talking about sex after cancer, even if you're not with somebody, how you have to make yourself your priority. Yeah. And it's a lot of a taboo. And I know that I get embarrassed talking about it sometimes, but my artwork speaks for itself and that's how I do it. And I hear a lot of women, that's me, that's me, that's me, and resonates and they love mm -hmm. seeing these pictures of women touching themselves, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, I, I wanna push the envelope with that a little bit because mm -hmm. it excites me and it's exciting and it, it has to be talked about. I think you should push the envelope. Actually, that's why <laughs> I brought up the conversation, the, the topic on this, because I personally would not say that when I'm looking at, you know, women who haven't gone through this experience, speaking about it so, so boldly, so openly. And then once you go through the experience, it becomes taboo. I just, yeah. for me, I'm like, I don't think that's fair. Like you that's should not definitely fair. embrace it. And you're, you're yeah. leading that example. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of women that do that too, which I'm very Erica Hart. I mean, there's a lot of women that are very um, out there about their sexuality and it's important to talk about after cancer. And maybe I don't, you know, I don't talk about it verbally, but I do it with my artwork because it's not talked about with the doctors don't tell you the impact that's going to have on your relationship with whoever and on yourself. Because even when I'm alone by myself, the first things I did or do is go to my chest and breasts and fondle them or whatever. And then knowing that there's nothing there to sensation or sensually be, I'm so turned off in my head that the, the moment's over. And that's even hard for me to talk about because I feel like I'm saying, you know, touching myself, I can't even do that, but I can't do that until I start loving this part of myself and putting that powerful part of me being without breasts is still beautiful. Like they are beautiful the way they are. And I've been told that, I mean, I've been told that by men, I've been told that by women, I've been told that my body's so beautiful as is. It's all a head game, you know, it's still up there. It's all a head game, but it was a head game before. And it's a head game now, you know, mm -hmm. just a little tougher of a head game. So that's why I'm doing the artwork, you know, so I do these images of these women pleasing themselves. And, you know, I, I want their glint in their eye to be like, mm -hmm, you know, like give you a little like, oh yeah. And that the was blush nice. of their cheeks. <laughs> oh, the blush of the cheeks. Absolutely. When it comes to your, your, like all the artwork, because I was actually very curious about this. And if you had any pieces that were truly, truly, truly meaningful to you, you know, maybe, maybe your favorite pieces that really were at pivotal moments maybe in your life. What are those and what did they mean to you? How did you draw them and what, what did they mean to you? Um, one of the ones was my first, uh, my, one of my first charcoals I did is, well, there's two actually charcoals that I really love. And what's interesting about the charcoals, because they were just, they, I, I look at them and I can feel everything I felt the day I drew them. I mean, right now I can get emotional about it. It was angry. It was, it was because there was nothing. I wasn't trying to make an image and the image just came out of me. So the fact that that happened was incredibly cathartic and unusual. Like I never experienced that. Like you draw a tree. So you draw a tree, make it a pretty tree, draw flowers. This was something I never did. This was, you know, I went to art school. You had to do all kinds of assignments. This was not an assignment. This was just my whole entire body feeling came out. So one of the drawings was of me sitting with my eyes closed and I'm holding a chair and it's in, it, it, I have breasts in it, but which is ironic that I breast. I mean, I have breasts, but they were glowing, if that makes any sense. Cause I, I must've known this was going to happen to me later on in life or whatever. And then there was another one I had, I'm a, an Aries. So the Ram head is often used in my artwork. So I had that symbolic 
image. Mm -hmm. So those two I loved. And then I did these, the ones I'm doing, the one I was talking about before about the, these two images that I did and I put them together. That was magic like no other. So that's something, um, you know, those are my few, I've like, I have pieces that I go to that I'm just like, that, yeah, like that's yeah. it, you know? And I do a lot of recent stuff that the uh, it's, it's recent work that I really like. I'm doing a lot of these medical kind of illustrations that everybody loves. So that makes me excited because they love these images. There's one that's very Joan of Arc looking and she's so symbolic of getting through something. And, and that's symbolic to a lot of women that I've met. And they love that warrior woman kind of aspect, but with that beautiful feminine, sexy eyes that, you know, can charm the shit out of you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. You're the ones that you've made that I've seen had that where I started to really understand um, also what you went through, like physically, personally, um, where you had that drawing and it, you had like a mastectomy. So like it was labeled, the woman yeah. was labeled of all of yeah. the work that had been done. Yes. Um, on her body, your body. And it was, it was powerful. I mean, just to see it was like every single, like basically every other inch of the body had had yeah. something done. Yeah. So that really starts to, to really hone in on like, wow, the amount, not only emotional and mental, but physical yeah. impact that it's had. Yeah. And your, your drawings though, would you say, cause I feel like you know, and I was talking with Katie too, and mm -hmm. uh, she had mentioned how your oh, she's created like two beautiful drawings that she Amazing. just released. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to share them on, on our platform. It was absolutely incredible. She said yeah. a year's worth of work. I mean, it's just yeah. that she loved. Yep, it. She I talked to her. Writing. Yeah, a year ago today, I talked to her. That's amazing. I mean, yeah. just, she's she's your biggest fan. <laughs> and so we were speaking about your artwork as well, and she said it's developed. Like she's seen a development. Yeah. What can you say about maybe how like how it's been reflecting your your process, your healing process? How was it before and how compared to how it is now? In the beginning, I know with the charcoals, like I said, I was being so true to myself. And maybe it was alone the fact that it was so I was so alone doing it, like alone in the world at the time, because I didn't know anybody. And so I was just speaking to myself. And now my artwork, I'm speaking to somebody else. So I'm trying to talk to somebody through my art, whereas before I was just trying to convince myself, you know, let my anger out, convince myself this is what it is, put it away, no one has to see it. The stuff I'm doing now, I want everyone to see. You know, like I want to become known for this. Like I've now I'm decided that this is what I want. I want the brand Marianne Duquette Quozo to be my artwork and my journey. And I want to express this and I want to keep going. And, and I wanted, it's advocacy. I never realized what it was until I was put into the place of, of doing it. And because it, it's, there's a reason for this. And, you know, my son said it to me, it's my mission. So I know it all so well, like, it's not like I'm making a story up. And Katie was just, and the fact that Katie took this on and she took my best friend's artwork, a photo of the first one with the, we lying on the grass, which was a day before my surgery. My best friend Mia took this picture of me in the grass. It was hysterical. The, the garden landscapers came in at the same time. I'm topless on the ground, and she's she's over to on top of me. I mean, it was <laughs> so funny. And she's like, "Not now, <laughs> but not now." Her go. photo shoot. <laughs> can't explain it. Just go away. And it was hysterical. And we laughing the breeze and it was beautiful. And she did these series of photos for me of these, my breasts saying goodbye to them. And then when I had the other one that she did with me tied up was for the New York times with um, Beatrice DeG did for me. And it was, she made me scream my head off. 
in the most beautiful way. She bound yes. me for an hour and then she says, screen your ass off. And I'm in my house. She's got this big screen behind me and she's got all these cameras and stuff like that. And she just was like, we put on loud music and she just made me yell. And I just yelled and then and what, broke out. And what was the, the emotion and the oh. significance of that photo of that experience for you? It was, she had this image of binding me and then having me tear out of it. And it took a lot of takes to do because we couldn't, I was not comfortable doing that. I was so afraid to scream. Mm. And then when she finally caught the scream, she just was like, she caught it. She caught that moment. It was nothing fake about it. It was just like, I was crying and yelling. And that was like, she's gonna, I got it. That's it. You know? And she wanted it so desperately to be on the front page. And, and it just, it was a little too erotic for that. And it was part of that because it was an erotic picture. It was meant to be erotic as well. Like to be very um, bound and just uh, take it out. Yeah. And, and Katie just saw that and saw those two pictures and she couldn't decide because she didn't normally, she, her project that she's working on the mother tongue. She didn't, I think she just wanted to use one and talk about it, but she was just, she couldn't choose between the two because they're both so powerful. One is so beautiful and one so emotional, you know? So, wow. I mean, I can't even tell you what a wonderful experience that was for in every single one of these women that I've dealt with. It's like, I can't get over that, that I've had that opportunity over and over with these women. I'm very blessed with that. Very blessed. I think it's great that you were able to capture those moments, you know, and now you have something that you can keep for the rest of your life. Yeah. hundred percent. As a reminder. Yeah. Um, and, and so your advocacy, you do advocacy through your art. You've identified that now this is your advocacy, but you do it also with, for cancer research. If we wanted to get involved and donate or provide support in some way, we can speak about if there's a place that you I mean specifically MetaViber, if you wanted it's to mention Metaviber. that. I would definitely oh. say MetaViber. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So what I, cause you work with them, you know that they're, yeah. they're credible. We can yes. include the link for that information in the show Thank notes. You. Yes. that way, anybody who wanted to read more about what they're doing, the research yes. that they're doing and donate um, can access it there. And as far as for me, for the research that's going on in the cancer groups that I work with, you know, the fashion show we were involved with was for metastatic breast cancer, which is people have to realize that you don't die from a lump in your breasts. You die from stage four cancer. When you have stage four, it's metastatic, is in other parts of your body mm -hmm. besides your breasts. There are people who live many, many, 15, 20, many years with metastatic, but but it is, it's terminal. It's a terminal illness. They are forever going through treatment. Every day is treatment. I mean, there's women that go every month for the rest of their lives. They have to have this treatment. And right now, some of these women are not allowed to have the treatments because of what's going on. But the one of the, the research that I'm really involved with is the MetaViver, which is the, what was involved with the show, which I do a lot of work with them. And I sell a lot of artwork and the money goes towards them or whatever I can do for them because it's something that I, I truly believe in because I know that this is scary. It's one in eight women get breast cancer. One in three of those women are becoming metastatic. And it's just something that they don't have enough research for this. And they talked about it so much and it just needs to be said. Metastatic has to be a word that is easy on people's mouths. Like just say it and let's talk about it and don't mm -hmm. deny because that's when you're terminal. I also wanted to talk about your um, lymphedema sleeves. Because yes. <laughs> I think that's a great project that you worked on previously yes. with lymphedivas. Yes. And so um, talk to us about a little bit about that sleeve, what, uh, what, what role it played in your life mm. and um, how it could help others that are also experiencing the same thing. It, when I when I was diagnosed with lymphedema, it was something, and I, I talk about this, so I was just talking about this with my girlfriend, and I was like, she was like, that was the darkest time of your life. And I was like, it was. And it was so weird because it was, it, you would think it wouldn't be. I had the implants. 
And I, at this time I was bald. I, I remember going to a physical therapist. I had no range of motion. And the physical therapist was like, I, this isn't, this is cancer related. This isn't something physical therapy. It's not bone or muscle. He couldn't give me much advice. And he, and I said, like, then I called my doctor and they were like, you really have to go to a lymphatic therapist. And there was one out on Long Island that I went to incredible woman. And what I didn't understand or realize what was going to happen was because of all my lymph nodes that were taken out, there's 20 lymph nodes. And there's no way that the, the lymph system just has to, it circulates all through your 700 lymph nodes. And in your arm, when it's cut off, it's kind of the, the beads, the, the, the lymph nodes are taken away. The pooling of the lymph system, lymphatic fluid pools into my hands. My hands get really swollen and taut. And the scary thing about it is that there's no circulation so that if I get a cut, I can get cellulitis very easily. It can become very serious. So I was going to the lymphatic therapist and I thought she was just going to like, kind of like, oh, she'll just massage it. It felt so good when she did it. And she just pulled and she pushed all the lymph fluid back up into my body. Felt so good. And she's like, oh yes. And then she wrapped my arm with 30 minutes of wrapping, wrapping tight, 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 tight. And I was like, okay, this feels great. So when do I come back to get this off? She goes, oh, we're going to be doing this every day for a month. You come here, you take it off. I do this massage and I wrap you back up. And it was like the month of, I, I didn't want to, I didn't speak to anybody. I didn't go out. I didn't do anything. I couldn't drive. I had a painting job. I couldn't even do the painting job. I, mm. I couldn't do anything. And it was gross. It was dirty. I was so unhappy. I was bald, had no breasts. I had <laughs> this thing on my arm. I was like, this was the darkest time. Mm. And then I found a, a podcast about um, lymphedivas. And then I realized that after these wrapping, I would be starting to wear, I'd have to wear a sleeve every day. And I prayed for these sleeves. Oh my God, I waited for the mailman to come to get the sleeve. I finally got my sleeve and she put it, the therapist put it on my arm and ended up, uh, <laughs> I'm wearing a sleeve right now. I got in touch with them and showed them some artwork. And I said, you have no idea what you did for me. Yeah. because it was one of the darkest times of my uh, of going through this because I was like, there's one more thing I have to deal with after this cancer treatment. And then when I found this sleeve and put it on, it was like the one thing that I had control over. So I had this beautiful sleeve that was funky mm -hmm. and fun. It fit my style. And I was I started working with them and I did a design a sleeve uh, two years ago, I want to say. And the 25% of it, the, the money goes to Metaviver. So it's called the Hope wow. Sleeve. So it, yeah, so it's like we worked with them and it was great. And the sleeve I'm working wearing today, I just designed, it just came out. And it's for the Tutu Project, which is another great project. It's um, a man, I don't know if you know about uh, Bob Carey and his wife, Linda, who Bob Carey wears a, wears literally wears, he's a big size fella and wears a pink tutu everywhere and takes pictures of himself in Central Park on top of, you know, Times Square. And all the money that he raises goes towards his project, which is for breast cancer. And it's a wonderful project as well. And so I designed a sleeve for that. And it has mm. my it has my birds and it has a string with a ho with a heart on it. And then um and the money for that is going to the tutu project. So it's it's doing Lymphedivas has done some great things. And I have another piece coming out too uh probably in fall. Incredible. Well, I'll place yeah. the information for these sleeves online as well, in case there awesome. is anyone listening that would like to purchase yes. those. Um, and other than that, you know, that really ties up our conversation today. Yes. Um, unless there was something else that you wanted to bring up. I'm happily and scared to even say this, but I'm going to be writing a book. I was asked oh. to write a book. So um, with my artwork, so I'm, I'm working with somebody who saw me. Um, he's a, a retired veteran, Major Scott Cusing, and he's found me through a photo in Instagram that went viral. And he was just inspired by my courage. He wrote me an email about two years ago and, and now he's kicked me in the pants and said, you could do it, doing this. We're doing this you together. So do I'm excited cool. about it. And that's the first time I've talked about it. So it's like, oh, 
so I hope I'm, oh, I'm, yes. I'm thank you so yeah much. so I'm I'm it's gonna be um we're, we're taking all my journals and making a timeline and then it's gonna be chronological but it's also gonna be a story and it's also gonna be all my artwork mm-hmm. he's gonna he's repping me and and it's exciting because it's something you know coming from a man who's been experienced much in his life again I have my son's approval because he's so excited but it's also something that I feel like it's gonna put all this stuff into tie together uh, yeah tie it together Wow. I love that. I love you. I love seeing this journey. I told you we connected, you know, two months ago, I think it was. And I was like, you are meant to put yourself out there and to advocate. And and, hey, look at these. You took it upon your own hands and your own, you know, process of doing it. And so super, super honored and grateful that you were able to hop on here today and do this interview uh, to share your story with everybody. We got into so many topics so many yeah. important you know areas that that people needed to hear so thank yeah. you so much for being on sure thank you so much for listening to this episode if you enjoyed it and feel inspired and would like to be a part of the relentless minds community you can join the movement for change on instagram and twitter we would also love to know how your experience has been as a listener if you haven't yet please go to apple Podcasts and subscribe rate and review this podcast Join us next week for another powerful story. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.